0: New Zealand's health system generally offers most people the care they need when they need it. But behind the scenes, officials admit they're facing a crisis. Rapidly rising demand for health care coming up against acute workforce shortages and ever tighter government funding. So what sort of health care might New Zealanders have in the future? In this Insight programme first broadcast last year, Radio New Zealand's health correspondent Karen Brown has been finding out. 300 health leaders, both in government and in business, gathered in Auckland to discuss what an ageing population and other demands will mean for health care in this country by 2050. They were being urged to think wheelchairs, not pushchairs, rest homes rather than kindergartens. But it took the head of the government's health workforce planning group, Des Gorman, to bring things into focus.
1: Most New Zealanders who require health care today receive the health care they need to the standard they require it, and in a timely fashion. So it's hard to articulate the crisis we face without somehow implying there are major holes in our current health service delivery, which there aren't. But the point is that our health system, while it may meet the needs of most New Zealanders today, not all New Zealanders, most New Zealanders, is not sustainable, nor is it fit for future purpose.
0: Professor Gorman says the problem is certainly not unique to New Zealand and boils down to a global mismatch between the demand for health care, the supply of the workforce needed to deliver that care, and how to pay for it. New Zealand spends roughly $18 billion a year on health, $14 billion of which comes from the government, with the rest from the non-public sector. Health costs make up a fifth of all government spending and 9.2% of the economy. Can we continue to afford this? Professor Gorman says no. In 2009, half of all the new money in
1: the budget went to health. In 2010, over 40% of all the new money went to health. What that means is that the other 30 ministries had to share the other half. This year, the other ministries have to find half a billion dollars for us. When health consumes half of all the new money, or and all the other ministries have to actually gut their budgets to fund us, the question about how close are we to the tipping point of affordability of health care is answered this way. We've gone past it.
0: Professor Gorman says New Zealanders expect to have unlimited access to the care they need. But the ageing population has planners projecting a rise in demand for health care of up to 70%. Professor Gorman himself estimates demand will double and the patient of 2021 will not only be older but also sicker than patients today.
1: As we get more and more effective at managing acute disease, most people do not die of infections. Most people, we can reverse myocardial infarctions, we can reverse strokes, we can manage most simple cancers. But the very success of the 500 years of scientific medicine has been to produce an increasing number of people ageing with increasingly complex chronic disease.
0: The Institute of Economic Research says the supply of doctors, nurses and others isn't keeping pace either.
1: Not one of the medical disciplines will have enough practitioners by 2021 to meet NZIER's best-case scenario. In other words, not one of them will grow by 40% over the next decade. So we have a demand estimation ex- from NZIER of 40 to 70%. I'm telling you it's 100%, but in fact the growth of the workforce will shoot below 40%. So we have an extraordinary mismatch between best-case supply and worst-case demand. And some workforces are already in critical shortage, And this has adverse personal and societal effects.
0: Professor Gorman says all this will increasingly pressure the New Zealand health system, which is good but not perfect, with what he describes as a shameful indigenous health record and a disgraceful teen pregnancy rate, among other things. The Director of Orthopaedic Trauma at Auckland City Hospital, Bruce Twaddle, says he and his colleagues are already dealing with a growing demand for hip fracture operations from the elderly, mostly women with osteoporosis. He's worried about suggestions hospitals may downsize, as care is focused more on the community in future.
2: The ageing population, particularly with patients with fractured necks of femur, significantly affects what we do in the public system. That means that if you look at the statistics, There'll be 1,200 patients in Auckland per year sustaining a fractured neck of femur presently, something like that. Uh, and in 15 years' time, that'll be 2,500 per year. The average hospital stay, inpatient stay, in some form of hospital bed for a fractured neck of femur, 27 days. And so that means that there's 185 public hospital beds occupied all year round, 2015, by this particular diagnosis. That's a big problem and it's a problem because we
0: have reducing hospital beds. Bruce Twaddle says he believes patients like elderly women with osteoporosis lack the clout to have their needs considered. These are a politically
2: incorrect group. They don't vote, they don't have a political lobby group, and no one therefore has a real interest in dealing with their problem. So this is a massive problem in the health system that no one talks about, and it is going to clog the public
0: system but Dr Twaddle agrees changes will need to be made to current practices to cope with future demands. For me, the real question, and has has already been
2: enlightened, is are we prepared to deal with the challenges of these changes? Because we're not going to change it by saving a little bit of money here and there. We're going to have to have some transcendental change in what we do if we're going to survive in the current health system.
0: He suggests for example centralising the management of trauma care in a place like Taupo rather than trying to provide it in different hospitals throughout the Auckland region. What other changes could be required? An international consultant on innovation issues, Craig Rispin, offers pointers on his likely future relationship with his doctor.
3: Uh, he'd like me to check my blood pressure. And so I plug in the wee things, blood pressure cuff into the bottom of my iPhone, and it's instantly transmitted to him. I also have the Fitbit snapped to my belt, and it monitors my activity, the number of steps that I'm taking, whether I'm running, how much time I'm sitting in front of my television, and what my sleep patterns are. And it's automatically communicated to him. What else does he need? Well, he needs a thyroid test, and I can't do that remotely yet, but my friend monitors his blood glucose level on an attachment that plugs into the bottom of his iPhone.
0: That's not all. Mr. Rispin says so-called regenerative medicine is already making replacement body organs.
3: And do you know that there's a young male now in the world that has a uh, bladder that was grown by them from his own cells? And do you know how many other organs they're planning on using this technique on? They're not all available today. The bladder, first patient in the world, but where will we be in 10 years from now? Where will we be in 10 years from now? They say 22 organs.
0: Organs aside, there'll also be many more medical devices and technological advances in healthcare, which government planners admit will be impossible to keep up with because of the rising number and cost. Manufacturers are keen to show what is already available. Steve Hamilton from international medical devices company Johnson & Johnson displayed full hip replacement sets.
4: We've got sitting in front of us uh, a series of orthopaedic implant devices, they're modular, as you can see there's a couple of hip implant devices and they have a modular head that basically replicates the top end of the femur or the thigh bone.
0: Medical devices are a $600 million industry in this country, covering everything from low level items used in hospitals, such as surgical drapes, to anaesthetic and other machines used outside the body, to actual implants like hip replacement parts. Then there's technology which has been available in this country for a year and which allows doctors to keep tabs on patients during their normal activities. Scott Dunlop of Medtronic Australasia explains.
4: Basically we're looking at a remote monitoring system that allows patients with implantable pacemakers or um, ICDs to uh, send their data over the telephone line so that the physicians can check the information on the internet, um, which basically means that the patient doesn't have to come into the clinic to get checked.
0: The future will involve wider roles for groups such as nurses, who already have been given the go-ahead to do endoscopies and to prescribe medicines for diabetes. Pharmacists are also likely to have greater responsibilities in the decades to come. The chief executive of Counties Manukau District Health Board in Auckland, Geraint Martin, also sees an ageing population and chronic disease as shaping the future for healthcare
5: demand is going up, but it's a different kind of demand, because it's about chronic disease and ageing. Okay? I, I would like to see it in terms of revolutions. That the first revolution was about public health, so you know, clean water and sewers, and that hugely reduced the demand for treatment for infectious diseases. The second revolution in the 20th century was around things like elective surgery, which usually enabled us to replace hips, uh, do transplant surgery, etc., etc., And we've geared the health system up really well to be delivering that. What we have to recognise now is that those patterns of disease are changing again. It's about chronic disease, the ageing of the population. Those kind of services need to go on outside of the hospital.
0: Grant Martin says patients will manage their own conditions more with advice from medical staff.
5: A lot of that will be done online or it could be done face-to-face, but it could be done online, for example. A lot of consultations may be done using the internet or using smartphones. And that's, that kind of technology is used all the time by everybody these days. But people will probably be going to have treatment or support for treatment, locally in integrated family health centres which will have a range of general and specialist people uh, providing services there, often for services that used to go on in hospital and hospitals will actually be smaller, uh, well not smaller so much but they won't grow to the extent they have done, they'll become much more concentrated about dealing with some really really complex kind of treatments that go on there at the moment but they'll be much more dedicated towards that and I think what will happen is, in particular, the patient will be much more in charge in controlling and influencing their treatment in the future than they have done in the past.
0: Fisher & Paykel Healthcare is the biggest New Zealand medical technology manufacturer with market capitalisation of just under $1.5 billion. Its chief executive, Michael Daniel, says technology can help reduce expensive hospital care for patients, but it can take years before a device that's already been shown to be effective is adopted. As an example, he says his firm's been developing humidity therapy for patients with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease who, in the later stages of the disease, may experience a serious worsening of their condition. A study at Auckland's Middlemore Hospital has shown the therapy can significantly reduce this. Now that's potentially got a huge
5: cost saving to the health system uh, if that helps keep these patients out of hospital. For instance, we're three years since we introduced the device. We started developing it seven years ago, and we've penetrated around the world less than one percent of the potential patients. In fact. The actual number's 0.05, but I didn't want to write it down, it looks so horrible, but it takes, it does take a long, long time.
0: I'm at 133 Molesworth Street in Wellington, it's the home of the National Health IT Board. Now it's aiming to make personal health information much more easily available, both to patients and those who provide their treatment. The National Health IT Board, just up from Parliament, has been working behind the scenes for three years on other changes that will also revolutionise health. It's aiming to be able to offer, by 2014, an electronic health record for every New Zealander, which health professionals and patients can access by computer when they need to. The board's head, Graham Osborne, describes the record as a shared care plan. What it will be
6: is a combination of
0: systems that work in a very
6: smart way to link together and provide a comprehensive record. Now, let me give you an example. If someone's well throughout their lives, then how much information is going to get collected? Probably minimal information at a GP practice. So therefore, you just want a summary record in order to understand the life stage events that that person's gone through. And so they might have had immunizations, might have had a tetanus injection, etc. but particularly, you know, if they're generally well, they won't have a lot of information. If I jump to the other end of the scale where someone's very unwell, they might have had a very bad car accident, they might have had a series of multiple uh, illnesses, then they're going to collect information on a whole range of areas of the health sector, possibly in a, in a cardiology unit, maybe in, a, in an oncology unit or or in a rehab area. So the challenge is not to have all those health units all working on the same system, the challenge is that they collect the information and the important information is available in that summary and, a, and the clinician who or consumer may be able to drill down on that information in order to get to the very specific information.
0: The board's also working on e-prescribing, which will speed up getting a prescription filled.
6: The model that we're going to use is that you'll still have a script, because it's very important that you have a piece of paper, As you, and then you choose the, the pharmacy you want to go to. When you walk in, they will scan a barcode on that script, and the information on your script will come back down into the pharmacy system, and they'll be able to then dispense the medicines to you. There's a number of options in there about how that dispensing can occur, uh, but the really good news is that the pharmacy doesn't have to spend a whole lot of time typing information into their system.
0: Graham Osborne says the future is about using information technology, or IT, to support multidisciplined care, with patients and others able to access the same information and work to the same plan. Many in the public also complain about the need to chase up lab test results and bring them personally to appointments with specialists and others to ensure everyone has the latest test results. Graham Osborne says the test-safe system now operating throughout Auckland means all lab test results are available to clinicians in that city wherever they work, and this will also come in other regions.
6: I can imagine that in the future, and not too far out, we would like to start testing that idea of having information being available, available to the patient themselves. I mean, the challenge for us is how do we do that in a way that, isn't, that is safe for them
0: and their uh, situation. But it's one of the more complicated parts of the health system, with the need to link the different IT systems used by 1,200 primary health care practices, 3,000 family doctors and 900 pharmacies.
5: We're going to Victoria Street... The corner of Victoria Street and that one next to the town hall, whatever that is.
0: The widespread frustration about how long it's taking is expressed by Auckland Medical Specialist David Geller in a taxi in Wellington on the way to a meeting.
5: By all standards, New Zealand is one of the most advanced countries in the OECD with regard to the penetrance of information technology through the health system. Our frustration has been uh, our ability to connect around patient need. Um, and and I think when you go to other countries like France or the United States, they are still grappling with the move from paper to IT. We're miles ahead of them, but uh, we're so far ahead now, we recognise the potential and are frustrated that it's not coming as fast as we want. The National Health Board IT plan uh, is due to be fully delivered by 2014. It would be nice if it was here today.
0: Progress is, however, being made, as Graham Osborne of the Health IT Board explains.
6: When patients move from their GP and they, they move towns and they need to start up with a new GP, the file of information, their history in their first GP can be sent electronically to the second GP and that solution is the first time around the world that anyone has set that up. So we're going live with that and over the next 12 months, uh, GPs throughout New Zealand will have that service available to the patients who are moving uh, location.
0: Auckland Hospital Transplant Surgeon Stephen Munn also chairs an Auckland DHB committee of clinicians that considers new technologies to see if the DHB needs, wants and can afford them. Professor Munn says they've looked at a large number of new technologies across the medical spectrum.
4: One of the more recent ones we've looked at is the use of a drug called abastin in the treatment of diabetic macular edema, which is a condition of the eye that causes early blindness in diabetic patients. And we were looking at that in comparison with what has been currently used. And it's a slightly more expensive therapy but it saves a lot of sight, a lot of and prevents a lot of blindness and turned out to be a very cost effective treatment. We gave it a very high score and now that's going to be implemented within the organisation.
0: But the lack of national regulation of medical devices in New Zealand worries Professor Munn. He points to the scare in Auckland in 2007 involving a woman who died from the rare creutzfeldt jakob brain disease and the fear, which is no longer held, that other patients could have been exposed. The woman had had an operation during which it's believed she received infected matter in a product called Lyodura.
4: It was a a sheet of tissue that was put into the brains of people, and one of those people developed a transmissible disease because of that. And because we have no regulation, we had no way of knowing who else had had that similar device put in place we had no tracking of patients we had no tracking of instruments that were used in such patients and so there was a terrible fury about who else might develop this uh, disease so the lack of regulation means lack of protection so at a very elementary level we don't have patient safety at the forefront and so I I think that's a that's a ticking time bomb
0: The Health Minister, Tony Ryle, says the proposed Australia-New Zealand Therapeutic Products Agency will ensure all devices used here meet international standards, but he agrees with Professor Munn's assessment of the key role of medical technology.
7: The cost of technology and controlling the cost of new technology is going to be a real challenge for the health system and actually it is what is driving cost in health. Forget blaming the old people, it's not their fault. Uh, if you look at research that the Treasury did over f- the last 50 years, if you look, in the last decade that they looked at, they said the cost of health went up by 4%. 1.8% of that was related to new technology. less than half a percent, was related to the ageing population. So what that tells you is we can do all we like about managing the ageing population and moving services into the community, but actually controlling the cost of new technology and the cost of the services that we currently deliver is where the biggest savings can be made in health.
0: The recent earthquakes in Christchurch accelerated planning already underway in the district to shift care increasingly from the expensive hospital sector to the community. The chief executive of the Canterbury DHB, David Mates, told the conference why Christchurch needs to provide more care in the community in future.
6: Today in Canterbury, eight people turned 85 and 16 had their 65th birthday. Today, tomorrow, the next day and the day after. By 2026, Canterbury will still have the largest older population in
0: New Zealand. Canterbury is fast-tracking services that support people to stay well in their own homes, services close to the home, and what it calls highly functional primary care. David Mate says in future, in some senses, home is the hospital.
6: If we carried on what we were doing back in the mid-2000s, we'd need another hospital the same size as Christchurch Hospital. We'd need another 3,000 aged residential care beds and 25% more general practices. Labels like primary care, secondary care, tertiary care, aged care, those labels are becoming increasingly acronistic. They have no meaning or very limited meaning for the way that we're planning and shaping our health services into the future.
0: He and others also acknowledge more waste will have to be cut from the public health system to help fund it in future. Counties Manukau DHB is one that's cutting waste to help stretch its funding. Its head, Grant Martin, calls it working smarter.
5: We identified that by reducing central line bacterial infections, uh, by reducing the number of falls, by ensuring that we reduce the number of pressure sores, reduce the number of medication errors, all of which contribute to poor patient care, we could save $10 million. We've done that this year and we've clearly demonstrated that we have engineered out of the organisation $10 million of poor quality.
0: A Christchurch intensive care doctor, Jeff Shaw, says clinicians like him are keen to help drive more innovation in the system, but often face frustrating blockages, including a lack of space to work on or discuss an idea. Dr Shaw says specialists need to be able to take time out, but it won't be easy.
7: That will require backfilling those jobs with locums, for example and no one's even thinking along that, but you can't expect clinicians who already are overloaded in their workplaces to suddenly
0: turn around and actually become futurists and plan for the future. Dr Shaw says DHB CEOs should be required to show they support innovation. Once you have a culture of allowing people to commercialise their successes, it will change everything, because it
7: will make people look more critically about what they're doing, and it's not just a commercial success, it will be a model of care success. It might be a better way to shower a patient which may not have a commercial outcome, but it's a legacy. It's a downstream positive impactor from having a system that is all-consuming and doesn't think about the future.
0: The Health Minister, Tony Ryle, says individual DHBs are already making innovations, notably in aged care in Canterbury and Auckland and in developments in community or primary health care in Hamilton.
7: There's plenty of innovation, and and what's driving some of that innovation actually is the fiscal constraint, as it's sometimes referred to. The fact that the government, even though we're putting an extra $1.5 billion over the last three years, it's not at a level of those huge increases during the years of milk and honey. And because there is that tight financial times, people are looking at new ways of doing things.
0: Mr Riles says there is no doubt that the current approach has to change.
7: We can't double the number of hospitals, we can't double the number of doctors and nurses, so we have to shift healthcare care to a new platform. And that new platform, which is lower cost, closer to the community, is essentially primary care and
0: community health services. Mr Rao says it's the big challenge of the next decade, and he says he's been preparing for it in the past two years by trying to encourage the extension of often small doctors' practices to become larger, with more services available. He says DHBs will have more staff working in the community in future, but it won't necessarily mean smaller hospitals.
7: What it is is about how might we reduce the demand on those hospitals into the future because we have got ageing population, new technology, growing population. And this is very much about how can we slow the increase or slow the demand for these services by providing better care in the community.
0: The conference heard calls for a greater involvement of the private sector in all future health sector planning. That's backed by the $4 billion contribution of private health care to the system and the fact that 60% of those working in the health and disability sector work in the private, not public system. The chief executive of the Health Funds Association, Roger Stiles, says the private contribution to total health spending in this country has dropped over the past two decades from 26% to 19% against an OECD average of 28%. Put that another way,
5: if we were to move tomorrow to the OECD average private share of total health spending, that would require each and every New Zealander to have an increase of 50% in what they pay for their individual health care costs, 50%. I put it to you that that is going to happen over the next 10 or 20 years because it's inevitable. What we haven't factored in is that the goalposts are shifting. That OECD average in 10 or 20 years is not going to be 28%. It'll be well into the 30s. So the increase in personal contribution that the average (coughs) New Zealander is going to face in the next 10 to 20 years is going to be much greater than 50%.
0: Trauma specialist Bruce Twaddle says comprehensive private health care covers under 20% of New Zealanders and will continue to decline to a level that's unsustainable for the private system as it's currently configured.
2: So what this means is there's going to be an increased burden on the public system and all these problems are going to be, have to be dealt with some way through the public health care system.
0: Dr Twaddle says if changes aren't made, more wealth will need to be found to fund what is a worldwide problem, a money-hungry health system.
2: Unless we discover oil off the coast somewhere and have an exponential increase in the wealth of our nation, we've got to get better at using what we've got. And it's simple, it's very simple changes that are going to make a difference.
0: The executive chair of Health Workforce New Zealand, Des Gorman, shows no sign of being daunted by the challenges. He says a health system that's creaking at the seams and unfit for future purpose is indeed a terrible conundrum, but it's also liberating and a chance to design a much better system.
1: In 2021, we will probably do some things the way we do now, but that'll be because it's the best way to do it. And it'll be a 2021 model of care because it survived a blowtorch to the belly, not by default.
0: That Insight programme was written and presented by Radio New Zealand's health correspondent, Karen Brown.